Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Buckeyes now on Sports Illustrated with our streaming coverage of the Ohio State Buckeyes. This is the Buckeye Breakdown podcast. Glad to have you back for what we learned. It's our Sunday edition of Dissecting Ohio State Football after uh, what was easily Ohio State's best performance of the season this past weekend here, uh, I guess now just about 24 hours ago, uh, 59-7, the final score over the Akron Zips. I'm Brendan Gulick with Coach Tommy Zagorski. This was uh, a, a game that I think a lot of fans expected to have a wide margin. I think most fans were pleasantly, I don't know if surprised is the right word, but pleased that it truly ended up being the kind of one-sided matchup that you know, fans are used to seeing with Buckeye football. The offense clicked. An, another game with a defensive score. Incredible pressure uh, on, on the opposing offensive line and backfield. This really looked like Ohio State football like we've known and loved and, and uh, a good performance for the Buckeyes. Absolutely, Brendan. It was a uh, knockback to what uh, Buckeye football and the faithful Buckeye football are accustomed to. Watching young men go out and execute wearing this scarlet and gray. It was impressive to see different guys play. And I think that's what we're going to talk about today is just the ability of a lot of these guys to step up in a big moment. And it was also fun to see these guys have fun. They haven't had fun this season. And you saw the way the banter back and forth with some of the players. And, you know, it crossed the line a little bit. And we'll talk about that a little bit later in the podcast. But realistically, it was good to see these guys play confidently, playing fast. It was a big slump buster for the Buckeyes defensively. Matt Barnes did a lot of good things with the, the inside pressure gaps that we talked about this morning in our article. And I think you're going to see Ohio State be a little bit more aggressive going forward. It's just the nature of this defense. They play way better. I talked about Ronnie Hickman as well, and we'll talk about him in a second. He's become vastly better in a small, small window of opportunity uh, playing in the defensive backfield for the Buckeyes. And to watch this offensive line continue to dominate with Travion Henderson who we paraded around as this incredible five-star guy who's manifesting into one of the greatest performances in Buckeye history. We watch this guy every single week, and it's impressive. And I know last night he only had eight carries, but those carries he had were so dominant and so effective. He is going to be special. He got better as a protector last night. We'll break that down. And it's just exciting to see Ohio State have fun, and that's for the players. Now, on the other hand, Ryan Day had a million things that he had to worry about after this game. Is there a quarterback controversy? Kayvon Pope in the situation, throwing the gloves into the stands that are probably on eBay right now going for God only knows how much money, <laughs> and the ability to have to deal with that. And then in addition, as a coach, you go into that game, you go into it with the mindset, we've got to go win this game by a lot. We've got to prove to our fan base that we're something very special. And – no matter what you do in that, it's a lose-lose situation. You either win by enough or you don't see enough execution. Uh, I know the personal fouls are going to be something that he's going to address with the team that they are going to clean up. And it's part of being a young team. 
You make a big play in a big instant with 90,000 plus people in an outstanding atmosphere last night. And to see that come away with the way Ryan Day and his staff did it, um, there's a lot to correct. There's a lot to build on and things that we're going to see going forward, going into Big Ten play. You know, you, you gave the perfect segue there with uh, everybody had fun. Most everybody ever uh, had fun. Um, you know, we, we can't begin this any other way than talking about the biggest news of the last 24 hours. Uh, you know, Kayvon Pope last night through a, a temper tantrum that um, was pretty unbecoming to say the least, you know, certainly unbecoming of someone who wears an Ohio state Jersey, but obviously just uh, a, a pretty bad moment for him. Um, hard to know whether or not he, he really quit in the middle of the game kind of thing, although it, it may have kind of looked that way. Um, but he was essentially sent off to the locker room. And then today the news that Ryan day essentially said, Hey, uh, no mas, and and we'll continue to give you the scholarship through the end of semester, and and give you access to the the resources that you know student athletes have available to them. Um, but he's dismissed from the football team. He's done, and I I don't blame Ryan Day one bit for, uh, you know I I don't think he had much of a choice. I, I'm not really sure what more he could have done in that situation. So, you know, Kayvon Pope is um, gonna I would assume try to play football elsewhere. You know I. I I don't know if and where he'll land on his feet. I, I'd have to think he's a good kid and that he had a bad moment. Um, but the problem, and, and Z, you've been around a lot of high-powered football teams. You know, you you get playing time when the coaching staff trusts you. It's not based on your ability. That's a factor. But you got to earn the trust of the staff. I don't think anybody's ever questioned the physicality and, and the potential for Kayvon Pope. But – Perhaps what we saw last night in a moment of, of frustration and vulnerability for him, perhaps that's exactly why he hasn't gotten on the field. Um, you know, I don't want to speculate beyond that. I, I think he did the right thing by apologizing today. I commend him for taking the first step and trying to, to right a really tough wrong. But he's going to have the stigma carried with him now the rest of his playing career in college. And if he's lucky enough to play beyond that, this moment is always going to be there. That was a pretty tough scene last night. Yeah, it's going to be looked back at as a Kayvon Pope incident. And to take that away from a 59-7 victory, that'd be the first thing. And you know, Ryan Day in his press conference last night, I think three different reporters asked him about it. And kudos to Ryan Day. He handled it really well. Ryan said, I don't know. I, I don't know enough that happened. Like, I'm coaching in a game. I have guys on the sideline that are taking care of these different types of situations for me. We're going to have to evaluate. And kudos to him to take his time, take a deep breath, and look back into it. But it's a great story for young athletes. And the reason I say that is Twitter's an outstanding way of promoting yourself. And I'm preaching to the choir. A lot of people have heard this. Twitter and Instagram are in your Snapchat are the highlights of your life. People look at those things. Celebrate what you're doing that's great. When you're frustrated, don't go out and air your grievances on Twitter or Instagram. Because guess what? There's somebody who works nine to five Monday through Friday, who's just getting by financially. And the little bit of money they have, guess what they do with that money? They go to the Buckeye ticket office and they go buy tickets to watch Ohio State football play. And this is what they see. They see a Twitter, they see a Twitter rant 
by somebody who's getting cost of attendance, somebody who gets a full scholarship at The Ohio State University and gets to run out of that tunnel every single weekend and represent one of the greatest stories in college football history. It's insulting to the Buckeye fan base. It's insulting to the sport. It's insulting to his teammates. And it's insulting really to his family. And unfortunately, that little Twitter thing on his phone, that's a grenade. It's a live grenade you carry with you at all times. And the grenade has that little pin. That's one tweet. One tweet can change your life. And that's what's going to happen. Now, because of the ability that he has, his God-given ability, because this morning his Twitter account was probably inundated with inbox messages of hate, inbox hate uh, messages of support, and inbox messages of saying, hey, man, we got a spot for you to come play linebacker for us. <laughs> and he's going to have an opportunity to go somewhere else and play. And I can't promise you it's going to be in the Big Ten. I can't promise you it's going to be another Power Five school. Somebody is going to take an opportunity on him. As a good Catholic, I always forgive. But after a while, there has to be some discernment as well. And uh, it's going to take a lot of time to figure out if he's the right guy for your football program that you want to build around and understand when things get tough. And by meaning get tough, he doesn't have things go his way. Looks around, his teammates are celebrating, having a great time playing in front of national television on the Big Ten Network. And this is how he acts. That's the guy you want in your locker room. That's the guy you want going forward. There's got to be a lot of evaluation going forward with that. And, um, you know, I, I really wish him the best. You know, young men make decisions every single day across this great country that are positive and that are negative. And unfortunately, because he wears the block O, it's amplified greater than it is for the average kid uh, doing things on a daily basis. So, you know, best of luck to him. But, you know, like I said, I can't give Ryan Day enough credit for the way he handled it. And going forward, he's going to learn from this. It changed his life last night. And uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully for the better. And I, I can't add much better perspective than that. All I would say is, um, you know, it's certainly my hope in my life. And I know a lot of people share this, that, you know, we're not defined by our worst moments and, and rather by the character you show in tough moments. And we're all human. We all make mistakes. At the end of the day, he is a kid. He's, he's not a paid professional. I'm not going to bury somebody for making a mistake, but, I think it's it's unfair if I don't at least, you know, acknowledge the gravity of that mistake. Um, you know, to to say what he said on on Twitter, I don't care if you deleted it or not. It, it's unacceptable by every standard you can use. Um, so I wish him well. I hope he learns from it. Um, I, I hope I hope he gets another opportunity because I believe in second chances. But I hope he's legitimately remorseful for what happened and not just putting something else out there. Again, I, I, I didn't talk to Kayvon. I don't know what he's feeling right now other than probably, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Um, I, I hope he legitimately is remorseful for the way he handled that situation, like he said, um, and, and I, I wish him well moving forward. But let's turn our attention to that room. This has been a tough week for the linebacker room at Ohio State. And obviously, what happened last night is going to is going to grab a lot of the headlines. But just a couple hours earlier, okay, a couple days earlier, um, Dallas Gant enters the transfer portal. You know, he had far less pomp and circumstance around his uh, his his leaving the Buckeyes. Um, but we're talking now about two guys that a lot of people expected because of their upperclassman nature. A lot of people expected they were going to be at the forefront of what's going on here in 2021. They kind of got stuck in the log jam the last several years. 
behind Pete Werner and Tuff Borland and Justin Hilliard and Baron Browning were all, you know, legitimately great Buckeyes and, and, you know, NFL futures for a couple of them. I'm hopeful that this is not some signal of, uh, adversity within that room and maybe more just a a couple cases of guys that are frustrated that thought they were going to have their opportunity that waited their turn and it's not working out that way you've obviously been around this a lot you know closer than than most of us have can you give us some perspective before diving into maybe the Buckeye specifics can you give us some perspective about just what it takes to be the kind of player who has to sit and wait your turn and then maybe that turn doesn't come, you know, the, the way you foresee it. Humility personified. It takes a special human being. Every single one of these guys are recruited at a very high level. They're recruited by the best teams in the country. They're told that they're going to come to these universities, have incredible opportunities on and off the field. And when they don't see that manifest in a timely fashion, it's a me, 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 now, now, now type of culture. And for a linebacker to sit there and watch a group that's not doing great, and say, hey, this is supposed to be my time, and then to be passed over again, it's hard. It's humbling. It's a difficult situation. But it comes back to the recruiting process. When you evaluate a young man in the recruiting process, you have to be able to take into account his character. And everybody says they do that, but if you truly do that and you really read a kid, you have some sort of understanding of who he is, where he comes from, whose mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, coaches, How does he interact with people in his school? One of the things I always did when I walked into a school, most schools, you walk into the school, you've got an appointment with the coach, you walk in, a secretary greets you. Hey, coach, how are you? And they have a student that walks you to the class to go pick this guy up or to the coach. When I would walk with the students, the first thing I would ask them is, hey, I'm here to see Brendan Gulick today. Tell me about Brendan Gulick. And you see a big reaction because that kid has nothing invested in this opportunity to talk to you about the student. You would not believe the amount of things I heard negatively and positively about student athletes going into it. And then I was able to ask the coach about it. Maybe go ask a teacher, maybe go ask another secretary, a janitor, whoever it may be that has contact with that young man to figure out whether or not he's going to gel with the culture that you're trying to cultivate every single day. Every single coach in America talks about culture. Culture is built and lived every single day. And there was a sign when I first started John Carroll, I'll never forget this. Uh, We talked about when you recruited somebody that that guy, if he was the wrong fit for you, he affected you 365 days of the year. Hmm. If you missed on that guy, he can only affect you one of those 365 days a year, assuming you're playing against him. And I always remember thinking about that and going, you know what? There's a great thought to that and a great meaning behind it is making sure you don't rush into a relationship. You have to figure the thing out. You know, young people out there that are dating, you know, you and I are both spoken for. You don't go on a date and then that night go, well, let's move in together and start a family and see where it goes from there. No, you you go on multiple dates. You go and investigate. You figure out what's the right things and the wrong things to make sure that it's a harmonious relationship. Al Washington is a great football coach. He's a great mentor of men. Everywhere he's been, the place has gotten better because of Al's efforts. Right now, He's dealing with, we've seen now two guys leave that room. There has to be something else going on in that linebacker room at Ohio State right now that the rest of us don't see. And that is the issue that lies in hand. We talk about the technique of the linebackers. We talk about the lack of explosive plays by this linebacker group. 
when you are as a coach are spending majority of your time appeasing players than being able to truly develop and coach the guys that want to be there, it's a tough way of going about it. And unfortunately, every single coach in America can attest to that. We've all been there at different points in our careers where there's that one guy you have to take care of. And it's when you drop that one little bit of oil and water, it ruins the entire room. And that's unfortunately such a big part of a defense. It could be playing this defense as well. And that's a big aspect of where going forward, Ohio State hopefully was going to get better because of this, allow Washington to develop these guys. The same way Matt Barnes, like I said in the opening, was very aggressive and get these guys involved. And it's going to be interesting to see going forward how these guys react, how they play, and if they're the guys that are going to be the ones that turn the ship for Ohio State's linebacker room. It, it's a really interesting room right now because there's a lot of people talking about Cody Simon and Taraja Mitchell. You know, Tommy Eichenberg in week three against Tulsa played, I I think it was like 53 snaps without a tackle. And he, he kind of got hammered in message board forums and, and among fans talking. Um, you know, some media members started to speculate whether or not this is really a guy that has it, that can be the guy. Uh, athletically, can he get it done? I thought Tommy played much better last night. I thought Cody Simon had a good game. I thought Taraja Mitchell made a couple of really nice tackles. Um, but I, I agree with you. I think there's still some significant room for growth in this room. They don't have to have it all together right now. The, the whole point is you're trying to grow throughout the course of the year and peak at the right time. And frankly, I don't care whether we're talking about freshmen, sophomore, juniors, or seniors in that room. You, you literally – last year had a room of, of four super seniors. Justin Hilliard's been with Ohio State for 100 years. Uh, you know, like you were going to get young fast there. It's going to take some time for the, for the linebackers to figure this thing out. And, and I think if you look at where they were week one versus now where they are through week four, I don't, I don't necessarily think it's good enough to win the Big Ten in that room in particular but I certainly think I've seen some progress there. Absolutely. No, they're developing every single week. They're going to continue to get better. They've had a, and think about these guys. They haven't played. They have a new defensive coordinator who's asking them to do different things. I mean, last night's game plan, legitimately, those guys were in the A gaps and B gaps the entire night. Kudos to Matt Barnes. He said, hey, Akron, I'm not going to let you guys run the football. We're going to add these guys in. We're going to put it on our secondary. We're going to try to cover these wide receivers that they have and try to pressure these guys. And by also filling those A and B gaps, what that also does, it tries to take away from DJ Irons, a quarterback at Akron, from being able to run the football. As you watch teams play, a lot of teams run stunt games against Akron. They're running twist games, which means a tackle and ender switching or two tackles and an end, whatever it may be, where actually Akron got home against Ohio State on one last night, and we'll talk about that later. But what you saw out of that game plan was they said, hey, we're going to make sure that we collapse that pocket on him, make him flush out, and we feel we can contain him with our athletic young defensive ends. These linebackers are getting better. They're not what we've seen in the past. You know, last night, you know, James Laronitis did a good job in, you know, on the telecast talking about developing linebackers. He played during one of the greatest eras, you know, the former three-time All-American, one of the greatest eras of linebacker play at the Ohio State University. And I think one of the things is that's a special position on defense. In my opinion, I know we've talked about the defensive ends recently, but you think about Ohio State football. The two things you think about at Ohio State football are the running back and the linebacker position. Those are, I mean, the, the history of running backs and linebackers at the Ohio State University is so tradition rich. 
And every person that has grown up in Columbus or followed the Buckeyes at one point or another have been like, hey, I love a this insert this linebacker or insert this running back. And because of that, there's an appreciation for the position. It's under a microscope. And until that guy fills that void, it's still going to be under that microscope. Right now on the running back side, Travion Henderson's getting there. He's echoed in the in the in the in the same words as Eddie George and Archie Griffin right now. And Maurice Claret. And I know Claret was only there for a little bit of time, but every Buckeye fan knows he was incredible when he was there. You know, all these different great running backs. Zeke, I mean, you're you're talking about this incredible legacy of running backs. And at the linebacker room, like none of those guys are Andy Katzenmoyer. None of those guys are Mike Vrabel. None of those guys are some of the great linebackers that the Buckeyes have had over the last couple of years that are filling those footsteps yet. And until that guy, until one of those guys steps up and does it, that's what those guys are going to be under that microscope. But last night, they didn't have to make tackles. The defensive line, like, woke up. It was incredible. They showed up. I mean, Pascal Garrett, I mean, he played like a possessed man last night. I mean, he, he, he smelled blood in the water early, and he collapsed the pocket. And, you know, that, that helps as well. And those linebackers that we talked about that you alluded to, Tuck Borland was not the greatest linebacker in Ohio State history, but he and Ed Werner and Justin Hilliard, those guys got the, and Brian Brown, those guys got to play forever because why? They were clean. They played behind these defensive lines that were remarkable. These remarkable Buckeye defensive lines. And right now, last night, that defensive line played really, really well. And I think that helps that linebacker room. It alleviates the stress in that linebacker room. And the more that those guys can get to the quarterback and those guys can tackle running backs in the backfield, the better chance you're going to see this linebacker room having a little bit more confidence that you're seeing more on the back end and a little bit more on the on the front side of it. Yeah, let's move to that defensive line because through the first three games of the year, they had four sacks and 11 tackles for loss. Last night, they had nine sacks and 12 tackles for loss. I don't want this to be too much looking at the opponent, right? I don't think there's any Buckeye fan right now in America that is putting Akron's you know, current product and Ohio State's current product on the same playing field. So to me, this conversation needs to be about um, projectability, you know, uh, continued growth in technique and IQ in scheme and coaching, things like that, because we expected the execution to, to go the way that it did. Um, so, and I think that's where we can have a, a high level conversation here, but my gosh, is Tyleek Williams look good these last couple weeks. I mean, this kid has been outstanding. Haskell Garrett last night, you mentioned it. I mean, played like his hair was on fire. He was unbelievable. Um, Jack Sawyer with the sack that he had chasing irons who clearly early on showed his escapability chasing irons planting and stopping on a dead run with his left foot when Irons cuts back and makes a tackle. What defensive end can do that, right? I mean, JT Tuimolo-Au was powerful last night. So I, I really, really enjoyed watching this group of young defensive linemen, you know, knowing that maybe the next couple of weeks it might not be quite the same gaudy statistics, but – they're playing with a little bit of swag now, a little bit of confidence. They really needed this game. You called it a slump buster earlier. I mean, man, they they needed something to just get out of that game feeling really good about what they can do, and and maybe just in the nick of time now with Rutgers coming up on the schedule. Absolutely, I think ninety one jerseys should be selling like hotcakes in Columbus right now. <laughs> I mean, legitimately, I mean, Teddy Williams is playing out of his mind. 
I mean, he came in last night and just, you know, he's been so dominant. It's not just against Akron. It was again, he played well against Oregon. He, he has shown up week in and week out and is playing his way. And you love to see a young player like that, you know, a guy like that continue to develop. A guy that doesn't have as many reps as, you know, your traditional Buckeye player finally start to figure it out from that standpoint. Um, you know, one of the things I did notice last night that I'd be remiss to talk about, you know, the, the return of Zach Harrison, I think that helps a little bit more with confidence for the Buckeyes. But, you know, he had his hands full last night. You know, kudos to Xavier Gray, the left tackle for backward number 77. Uh, you know, young guy out of Maslin Jackson, who's a redshirt freshman for them. He played a really well, a really good game against Zach, you know, and they, they went toe-to-toe. I thought it was a fun matchup to watch. You know, really in the first half, and then you know Zach came out in the game, and then you know really they went with JTT and Jack Sawyer. Uh, you know, throughout the rest of the game to see Michael Hall come in the game, make a big play, and then obviously the throat slash, which was a which was a bad decision. Um, as as you go to do this, I told my daughter today to stop something like this. My wife said that's a 15 yard penalty. I said that's not. I didn't throat slash to my daughter. I told her to stop. <laughs> I was using my hands to do it. Uh, but I, to have my wife say that to me, obviously she's in tune to it as well. Uh, to see that in a game of that magnitude, uh, but yeah, it was it was awesome to see. Ha- you know, Haskell Garrett he played probably his most dominant game as a Buckeye last night, and it only played really in half the game. It was exciting to see him play, and then like you said, the Jack Sawyer play, like that's the Jack Sawyer we've been waiting to see. You know, we've been waiting to see Jack Sawyer. I mean, the biggest news out of Jack Sawyer for the first four weeks is that Mark Wahlberg gave him a truck. Now we finally see this kid go out and make the plays that we thought he was going to make, and even when they panned him on the sideline last night, he was smiling. He looked more relaxed. He's enjoying playing football and understanding this moment that's coming about with him. And, and like I've alluded to in the past, I went into Pickerington North High School. I used to recruit Columbus. Jack Sawyer in seventh grade, people, they were bringing him out of class to see college scouts. I mean, he was that special and that unique. And to see it come to fruition him is really special. The one guy last night, you know, JTT, who hasn't been in Ohio and been in Columbus as long, and we've talked about this before, you know, at times he looked isolated. You know, some of the zone read stuff that they're going to run into. Now, that being said, I'm not saying DJ Irons is the best quarterback that they're going to see all year. He's far from that. But DJ does have an athletic prowess that's going to make the Buckeyes realize, like, hey, we've got to be able to contain those types of players, you know, going forward when we get those guys. You know, Michael Penix probably hasn't been as athletic going, you know, the last couple of weeks. You know, he's coming back from that injury and just hasn't been himself yet. You know, but I'm thinking of other Buckeye, you know, other quarterbacks they're going to face, you know, going forward, you know, on the schedule. That'll end up challenging JTT to be able to go do that. It's going to be a great learning moment for the the Buckeye defense. But to see that defensive front pin their ears back last night, and especially, you know, the wise guys, the degenerates last night that were watching this game as they're sitting there and Tom Arth calls a timeout with four seconds left. And it's a 59, you know, it's a 59 (laughs) second game. And then for them to get home on a sack there, uh, it was it was a really uh, it was a great moment, uh, you know, for those people uh, that were watching that game sitting there going, holy smokes, this can't be real. Uh, from that standpoint. But, uh, yeah, once again, I, I really, really love to see the defensive line, the way they played last night, and they're still missing guys. So once this whole room gets together and they start playing, and it's confidence, it's playing together. And, and, and we talked about this last week, the Tulsa play with the interception. It's the first time we saw these guys play together. Last night they played together as a defense, and they picked each other up. And that's what it's about. It's a brotherhood, and when they continue to do that, you're going to see good football played by this defense for the Ohio State Buckeyes. Teron Vincent and Javante Jean-Baptiste and uh, Tyreek Smith were all out last night, and so it really was a young game, um, but a, a ton of upside in that room. I'm, I'm super excited about what I saw there. Um, I'm going to let you start with the defensive backs. Um, you know, seven banks. The, the, the starting defensive backs last night, seven banks and Denzel Burke started at corner. 
Bryson Shaw continued to, to start at safety. Uh, Cam Martinez, who obviously had the pick six against Tulsa, uh, got a start last night. And Ronnie Hickman, who's been the team leader in tackles uh, and, and has been probably the, the biggest pleasant surprise on the Ohio State defense this year. Those were your uh, five starting DBs. What did you think of that group? You know, starting with Ronnie Hickman, I opened with him in the opener. Every single week, Ronnie Hickman gets better. He legitimately gets better every single week. It's awesome to watch him play. It's awesome to watch him to go make tackles. He's becoming more physical. He's he's special. That play he made last night, and people go, well, you know, the tight end gave up on it for Akron, but it was a ball that he continued to play on. He didn't stop. He picked it up, and, you know, you and I could have jogged the rest of the way out, but it was great to actually see him uh, do that and have the opportunity going forward. You know, one of the things I think of the secondary last night that I was disappointed in, I want to get that out of the way, Seven Banks looked like he was he looked like he was overmatched. You know, he went against Kanate Mumfield, who's a really, really good wide receiver, number nine for the Akron Zips. And, you know, you can blame the turf, but Akron's on the same turf. And those guys were not falling down uh, like, you know, like Seven Banks was last night. He just looked a little out of place. I looked a little stiff at times. I thought the Buckeyes didn't really go at uh, Denzel's side that much because he's been so talented. I mean, I think he's sixth in the country in pass breakups right now or something along those lines. Um, he's doing a good job. And Shaw has really become he he's the he's like the guy, he's your Alvaro Espinosa of the Cleveland Indians of the mid-90s. He's just a utility guy who you're like, hey, you can plug and chug him in the lineup anywhere you want. He's a safety blanket for those guys. And that's what he's been. He helps Matt Barnes feel better about the defense. He puts him back there. He's making a lot of the calls. He's helping make align guys and ready to go. What he lacks in probably that explosiveness or maybe that suddenness that you'd like to see at that position, uh, especially in the Oregon game, um, he's really made it up the last two weeks. He's playing much better football. Uh, he's starting to look better from that standpoint. And then Martinez coming in and, and reaping the benefits of having a, you know having a big time play and continuing to add value from that standpoint. You know, from a technique standpoint, I think the secondary continues to grow and continues to get better. It comes back to the fact. These guys haven't played. They haven't played football. They've gotten one spring ball. Some of these guys have had one spring ball under their belt. It's an interesting way to grow, an interesting way to develop. But realistically, I, I think that you see, uh, you know, vastly, vast improvement. And part of that's Kerry Coombs. Kerry's not calling the defense right now. He walks into the facility with a different mindset. He's able to focus on the things that have made him great. Planting flags all over the country and recruiting and developing young men to play the position in the secondary. And that's what he's been great at. And I think that's, you know, complimenting his talent sets, letting Matt Barnes be more, you know, analytical and calling the game. It's been a, it's been a better way probably to operate on a daily basis down the Woody. And I, I don't want to cut you off on the carry note there, but um, I, I, I don't, I don't know how much carry has done this in the past. Cause honestly, I haven't watched for it. Um, wouldn't surprise me if this is something he does regularly, but it really caught my attention yesterday. Um, I'm, I'm sitting in the press box and, and the Buckeyes have just walked onto the field. Um, Akron had most of their players scattered around, you know, just soaking it in, starting to stretch a little, you know, some calisthenics running around your typical, Hey, we're like two to two and a half hours to kick off, just kind of getting off the bus, getting loose kind of thing. And, you know, most of Ohio state's players at this point had, have made their way in the Buckeye walk from you know the north end of the stadium down all the way across and, and into their locker room. Um, and Kerry Combs was still out on the field, still in his sport coat and tie, and walking around on the field by himself. And, and I noticed that he sought out a couple of Akron's coaches. I saw him 
talk to Tom Arth. I saw him talk to at least two other assistants. And it even from my vantage point, way up top, you could sense just by his body language the the grace and the humility that that guy has even when his you know his job is has come under some serious criticism lately um man i i just i'm so impressed with Kerry combs um he is exactly the kind of guy you want in your program because you know he's developing guys the way they need to be developed with everything other than football and He's a hell of a defensive backs coach. For whatever reason, this this defensive coordinator thing hasn't seemed to work particularly well. But I don't think that that means, you know, fire the guy onto the next one. He should just no longer be a part of the program. I think he adds tremendous value to, to what Ohio State does. Um, but again, it just his his grace and his humility yesterday, uh, clearly, the, the, the like you could tell, I'm, I'm watching through binoculars, the way he was introducing himself to these other coaches, they weren't long lost friends that, you know, Hey, I haven't seen you in, in a couple of months. They were, they were clearly, Hey, nice to meet you. How you doing? Welcome to Ohio state. Um, and I just, I, I was just so taken by, you know, him. That's who he is. Like that shouldn't be a surprise, but um, sometimes those things stand out anyways. Yeah. And then those are his roots. His roots started off as a Coleraine football coach, you know, high school coach here in this great state of Ohio worked up to Cincinnati and was able to have, have an impact there and then got the call to go to Ohio state. And I think I've talked about this before on the podcast, but I'll never forget the first time Kerry was on the road with the Buckeyes. I was at Moeller high school. I'm standing in line. I'm waiting at Moeller high school, you know, and, and anyone's ever been to Moeller high school, you meet the eighties there, their, their secretary, uh, Kim is the best secretary in the country. Kim gets you set up and they, Hey, you gotta go see this guy, this guy, and this guy. And, you know, walking in behind me is this, this, you know, this young, you know, young looking, bouncy, but as he gets closer, he's a bit more wrinkled, the white hair and an Ohio State jacket on. And he literally walks into me and he walks up to me and says, Hey, I'm Kerry. And I go, Yeah, Kerry, we met when you were assistant. He goes, Yeah, I know. He goes, How about this though? I'm wearing Ohio State. I literally <laughs> get to play or get to coach at Ohio State. And he was so excited about it. And that enthusiasm, that excitement he has for coaching at Ohio State, and the pride he has for this incredible state for football, he lives it every single day. And I, I really mean, I think if Ryan Day told him, hey, Kerry, I need you to change the uh, urinals, urinal cakes tomorrow in the, in, the, in the locker room, I think he would do it. I just, I do. I just think he cares that much about Ohio State football. He loves the young men that he serves. And it's a big part of who he is. And he, he's appreciative of the opportunity. He knows where he came from. And to have that grace, like you said, and the humility to walk over, introduce yourself to these other coaches that he didn't already know, just to look at it and, you know, take a, take a step in and you walk around. I mean, you're in one of these cathedrals of college football, one of the greatest cathedrals. You're on the base of the old Olin Tangy where the Buckeyes go home, as Keith Jackson would say it, you know, now that it's gone. But, you know, as, as you go into that, it would be something that you would see, I believe, he truly appreciates that and loves it every single day. It's the reason he left the National Football League. People thought he was crazy. Like, why leave the National Football League as a DB coach to go back and work through that recruiting grind? People don't understand. Like, recruiting is a 365, 24-7, and he's really good at it. He sits on the phone and texts guys. He's hitting them up in their DMs. He's FaceTiming guys. I guarantee you, Kerry spends more time doing that than anybody else in the country. He's, he's adamant about it. He knows it's important to go get the best guys. And that's what he does. And he continues to chug along. Is he disappointed he's not the defensive coordinator? Absolutely. Anytime anybody takes anything away from you, you're not excited about it. It's never happened. 
you know, and, and we talked about this last week. The only person that's ever excited about change is a baby with a wet diaper. Like he's not pumped up about the change, but he also understands what he needs to do going forward to develop this team and make sure that Ohio State, he's not the one that took Ohio State down. He doesn't want to be known as that guy. He knows how to coach this position. Players have faith in him. And you walk into his office, he's got a room just inundated with pictures of guys playing the National Football League. I mean, the man is responsible for millions and millions of dollars of young men, those contracts in the National Football League. Kerry knows what he's doing. And it's exciting to see those guys starting to play better, you know, for him. Before we talk offense, you know, we, we we have had this conversation off air, and I've been dying to bring it up on air. This is the perfect place to do it. Because of your experience in these rooms, you can pull back the curtain in a way that, you know, most people just can't even consider how challenging this is. Give us an idea of how difficult it is to be both an elite coordinator and an elite recruiter. It's It's impossible. I, the guys that say they're the, the best coordinators and the best recruiters on their staff, it's really hard because there's only 24 hours in the day. Any Every second you spend recruiting, you're spending time away from becoming a better coordinator and vice versa. It's, it, it's, it's impossible. It's impossible to be the best recruiter and the best coordinator on the planet. And some guys are sitting there going, well, my best recruiter is my defensive coordinator. Is he really? Is he really your best recruiter or is it what he does as a defensive coordinator that gravitates players towards him? Because you only have X amount of time to contact these kids on a daily basis and it pulls away from it. You have to be invested in every aspect of it. That's why head coaches that are great recruiters, they're not the ones that are coaching or calling plays as well. Ryan Day has a really, really unique way of going about recruiting, but he's surrounded by rock star recruiters. Not to say Ryan Day's not a rock star recruiter. Ryan Day spends time developing the offense, spends time making sure the defense is getting better, making sure the special teams are doing it. But he knows at the end of the day, when it comes down to a defensive lineman, Larry Johnson is going to be the guy at the end of the day taking and, and going to get those guys. I mean, shoot, Zach Harrison, his last visit, Zach Harrison's last in-home visit was with Michigan coaches, Al Washington, um, and, and you look at it now, like Al was coming over to Ohio State anyways. So it kind of was like a double day, you know, double whammy to go hit that. Al's done a tremendous job as a recruiter. Like I said, Kerry's been outstanding as a recruiter. And you, you start going down this Brian Hart line. I mean, I talked about, I wrote about him the other day. I said, I said it's a well. It's, it's deep and it's nourishing. I mean, it's loaded with value. He knows how to recruit. He can go get the best receivers in the country to come play for him. Why? He walked the walk. He talked the talk. Brian Hartline played the position at the highest level in the National Football League and then had the ability to go develop guys. And he has seen these guys have incredible success stories since he's been there. Kevin Wilson. Kevin Wilson's the offensive coordinator on paper. Kevin Wilson does a lot of great things. He's an incredible evaluator, too. You go work at camp at Ohio State. He's able to watch things. You know, but at the end of the day, like, Ryan Day knows who the guys are. He's going to send into a home knowing that that guy walks into that house. That family's going to let that young man go to Ohio State with that, you know, with that respective coach. It's really hard to be both of those things. And I think Kerry will be able to focus on what he's really good at, teaching defensive backs and recruiting at, at a very elite level. The same reason why Larry Johnson hasn't had – Larry Johnson's not been in the conversation to call the defense. It's not that Larry Johnson doesn't want to call a defense. Larry Johnson's been coaching college football for 40 years. He's remarkable. <laughs> but we also know that, like, the defensive line room, if he's not recruiting those guys and he's spending more time worrying about what the, the coverages are going to be the following week, guess what? Like, Somebody's something's happening that shouldn't be happening. And, and that's where you have to go find that balance as you work through it. And, and it's really, really important. I know from the fact that like 
I always prided myself on a great being a great recruiter, but I also prided myself on being a great coordinator. When I had to do both those things, it was it was it was that was the hardest aspect of me being a coach was being able to have to be an elite recruiter as as well as an elite coordinator. When you can go go back and forth between the two, and not to say this, I, I just to take a step back. I was never an elite recruiter. I was never on the level that some of these guys are on. But I have in, in a different in a different fishbowl done that. And when you do that, um, it's it's a really really challenging task. I appreciate the perspective on that, and I, I hope folks found that interesting. Um, we've talked a ton of defense, and I, I think it was appropriate because the defense has been you know the 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 segment of this team that it, most people have been holding their you know pitchforks and torches and ready to you know explode with frustration because of, of how things have gone. Um, but we should turn our attention to the offense uh, where our, our conversation, I think, will continue to take a, an upward trajectory here. Might as well start with quarterback. You know, C.J. Stroud takes the day off because he's trying to rest his right shoulder. I don't really know if we have a quarterback controversy. I don't know if that's the right way to say it. Um, but I think Ryan Day probably walked out of that game feeling a heck of a lot better that he did get Kyle McCord and Jack Miller some valuable reps in a game they won by more than 50 points. Um, you know, your true freshman quarterback makes his first ever appearance for a Buckeye. He, he in a Buckeye uniform, he's he's the fourth true freshman quarterback to ever start a game at Ohio State. Uh, and after half a quarter of probably adrenaline pumping uh, a lot harder than you might have anticipated. Uh, I think he started two for five and had a couple of sloppy plays and obviously had the one backwards pass that went out of bounds. His final number is 13 of 18 for 319 yards and two touchdowns with a pick. Um, 319 through the air I think is a little misleading. Um, he threw a lot of shorter passes with a, with several guys that just scurried on down. Um but I also thought his arm strength was noticeable last night. He put a couple of really good passes in tight windows right on guys. And when he settled into the game, he looked good. So, again, I don't know if this is a, a quarterback controversy as much as it is Ryan Day seemingly has said CJ's our guy, and when he's healthy, he's the guy. And he wasn't healthy enough or, or didn't need to be healthy enough to play this last week. So Kyle gets a chance, and I thought he performed well. Yeah, it was interesting to see him develop as a quarterback last night. The first three throws were out of the horizon. I mean, he was throwing – I thought he was throwing the ball out of the stadium. And that is not something that's crazy. C.J. Stroud struggled a little bit with his first couple throws. But, you know, like you said, Brendan, he was 13 of 18, I believe. He had those three – the first three throws were awful. He had that terrible interception at in the beginning of the second half. So that's four of those throws that you're, you're alluding to. It really just has one other bad throw. It's important for him to have the ability um, to, to really just play in a college football game. You know, he's never done that. That's a lot. And in that environment last night uh, was a great opportunity for him. I consider it more of a quarterback blessing. Ryan Day can now go to bed at night and say, hey, guess what? I've got three guys that legitimately can play and that I know in a, in a pinch situation I can go to these guys. At the end of the day, C.J. Stroud is the guy. He's still the guy. He's been the guy. They they would not have rested him last night if there was a quarterback issue. They rested him last night because Ryan Day knew he could go win this football game with his second and third string quarterback and go attack the 
the zip defense the way he did. They also could have leaned heavier on the run game, which they did at the beginning of the game. You know, I think a lot of fans, I believe even Andrew alluded to it last night in your post game, that they could have just ran the ball every single play. It, yeah, I, they probably could have. I don't think that would have been, uh, I don't think that would have been, you know, the Buckeye fans would have been a little disappointed in that from that standpoint. But Kyle McCord settled down. He executed a two-minute situation at the end of the half, which I thought was outstanding to see. You don't get those live reps. It's so important. And as a coach, you stress situational football during training camp, during spring football, even during the week. And then to have that opportunity and have the mindset, we're going to take that time out right there. We're going to force Akron to punt in. I think it was 34 seconds left in the half. And then have the ability to go make a big throw. Make a big throw. 14 seconds. seconds. Sorry, 14 seconds. Yeah. 14 seconds to make that big throw. Set up something there uh, that gives you the ability to go kick a field goal. And really an operation that, you wouldn't have gotten in practice to be able to do it on national TV. I think it's really important to be able to do that. Kyle McCord did a really nice job. Uh, Jack Miller, you know, I, he, he came in. You know, Ryan Day said he brought a lot of energy to the, the field, you know, for those guys. He's a third-string quarterback. He's a third-string quarterback. The kid's got a really good life. He's a really handsome kid that walks around the Ohio State campus as a quarterback. I, I, I know I was watching the game last night. and oh, Look at his blue eyes. Yeah, yeah, he's a handsome kid. So he's got that going for him, too. Um, you know, I think life's not going to be too bad for him. You know, he'll eventually be able to find his way, you know, onto the field in, in different capacities. But, um, you know, the good Lord just blesses some people with certain gifts. Uh, and, and young Jack Miller has got a couple of those. So, you know, to see that. I know earlier we were talking about, um, I think Quinn was one of the questions why he's not available right now. Yeah. You know, and, and realistically, he should be a senior in high school right now. He's a kid who's sitting in Columbus right now who's a millionaire because of an, you know, because of an, an NIL deal. And there's a lot of multi-millionaire, multi-millionaire, multi-millionaire as an NIL deal. You're, you're 18 years old. You're foregoing your senior year of high school to go do that. I don't know. Like I look back at this when I was a senior at Benedict in high school, if I had multi-million dollars, like if I had $2 million in the bank account when I was a senior at Benedict in high school, pretty confident my life would be a little bit different. The same way that this young man is, his life is vastly different. He's living in one in a great city in Columbus where he's basically a professional athlete uh, he's got a lot, a lot of things off the field that he's going to have to be able to fight and develop and understand before he has that opportunity. He didn't get to Ohio State, I don't think, till the end of July, um, and as well when he declared himself as a senior or declared himself, uh, in, you know, in the in the class of in the twenty one class. He's going to have a long, long way to go, and Ohio State's going to develop him. They're going to do a tremendous job with him, you know. And, and down the road, he could be something very special. But right now, that three headed monster that they have at quarterback. Um, it is a very comforting room, and if everyone stays healthy, you know it'll be nice to have those backups for CJ. I, uh, I I'm not sure if Kyle's going to start this next week or not. I'm sure Ryan Day is going to get a whole bunch of questions about that. He might not give us an answer till Thursday. Um, but I think the good news here is that Kyle showed enough last night that the the nerves of never having done it before are certainly going to be mostly quelled. Um, you know, I'm sure you always feel a bit of an adrenaline rush when you get in the game for the first time. It hasn't played a Big Ten game, but Ryan Day is going to say, hey, man, you did this last week or two weeks ago. You know, let's go back out and, and get after it again. Um, you know, I, I don't. I also don't know the, the level of, um, you know, depth in that injury in CJ's shoulder, but I know he's been dealing with it for a while. Is it structural? Is it just is you know? Is it almost like a pitcher where you've got dead arm and you just need some time? I mean, I th these are all it's all speculation, but the, the the thing for me is if you're Kyle, you rely on the fact that you had a good performance that once you settled in, you showed, hey man, I I belong here. 
I can play here. I, I can succeed here. Um, and, you know, you just be ready for whenever that next opportunity is because it's going to come at some point and you never know when it's going to come and it might be next week or maybe it's in a big 10 championship game. I, you know, who, who knows? Um, but I, I think Kyle has a really bright future and uh, you know, I, I hope that that room stays healthy and excels because if you don't have elite quarterback play, it's extremely difficult to make the college football playoff. Like it that's, is. that's just, you know, fact. Tremendously true, Brian. And, and Realistically, if they got to keep Kyle McCord excited, there's a really, really simple film they can go to in the the archives of Ohio State football, the Dwayne Haskins story. Yeah, go look back. And I mean, that's it's just a you know the epitome of like the way that he ended up becoming you know a quarterback for the Buckeyes. Uh, you know, after he left Ohio State, it hasn't been the greatest of stories, but what he's done, what he did, and be able to come in and just be ready, constantly stay ready. And we talk about this, and it's coach talk. Stay ready. You never when your opportunity is going to come, young man. You really have to do that at a quarterback, especially at the quarterback position. There's only one guy that's going to play quarterback. You know, I, I don't, I don't foresee, I don't foresee Ryan Day going back to the John Cooper era and going, well, we got Joe Jermaine and Stanley Jackson. We're going to play both those guys. No, he's what he's, what they're going to do is they're going to play CJ Stroud until CJ Stroud has proven that he can't be the guy. And then Kyle McCord's an outstanding backup that they have and going forward. And, and a guy that the guys buy into the guys that they like and, and the ability to go forward. And, and there's a lot of there's a lot of success there. One of the things that I thought was really big before the game last night to show CJ Stroud who he is, he had his arm wrapped around Kyle McCord before the start of the game. And I don't know if you saw when they took a knee, you know, down in the you know down in the end zone together as a team. He had his arm wrapped, you know, he had CJ had his arm wrapped around him, and you know what he was whispered in his ear, like, man, you are a dog. You're gonna get this today. Go get after it. Go have fun. And that's what you love to see. You love to see guys to support one another, and that's indicative of having a great culture. I'm just curious when you throat slashed your eight month old daughter, did you also go that deep voice? <laughs> I did not. No, I, I did not. You could not stop crying. No, I didn't. I just hit easy, easy. So as it went through with that, yes. So for the record, I did not throat slash my eight month old daughter. I, 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 you planted the idea. Now yeah, I think the 15 year penalty was up, uh, ready to I'm, go. I'm, I'm envisioning your wife throwing a flag and like hitting you with the flag, kind of like what happened in the NFL game today where the official literally threw a flag and hit the football uh, on a punt return. I think it was a Jacksonville game. The ball deflected off the football and caused a muff punt and a, and a fumble. I mean, it was wild. But Urban can't, anyway. Urban can't buy a break. <laughs> I think he said last week that he's uh, he feels like he's playing Alabama every week. That's, that's what the NFL is. You guys are good. It is. Um, all right. So, you know, Obviously, Kyle McCord, Jack Miller had a good day. Um, Ohio State, as an offense yesterday, averaged 10.2 yards per play and 21.4 yards per completion. I, like, I can't say that without laughing a little because that's kind of insane. Um, I, I don't know how much more we can say about this receiving core uh, than we've said You know, week after week. They continue to play extremely well. But perhaps what we saw last night was the depth that we have known is there, but finally got a chance to, to see that showcased, um, especially Emeka Ibuka. Holy smokes, what a play. I mean, incredible. It was explosive play of the night, uh, complimented also by Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, and Jaden Ballard. To see all those guys play last night uh, was really encouraging for the Buckeyes. And, and to say that, it's all overshadowed by, you know, Chris Olave played like three series, I think. He caught a shuffle pass for a touchdown. You know, he looked like he was hurt a little bit. Uh, he looked fine by the end of the night. 
Um, and then you look back, Garrett Wilson. I mean, I, the stiff arm on Bob Arcelini has been has gone uh, viral on on the, on the internet. I know Ohio State put out something about it, eat your vegetables or whatever. But uh, I mean, these guys are playing at, at an incredible level. And uh, and Jackson Smith, um, and Jay, he's been just remarkable as a football player. I just marvel at what he does every single week from a special teams aspect, from playing the slot receiver. Uh, the, this room is really, really talented. And, and I've said it before. I said it in my article uh, last I think I wrote early last, uh, last, early this morning, late last night. It's like a well. It's just really deep and really nourishing. Like you, the deeper you go in this well, the more you keep getting water, the more life that comes out of this thing. It's really uh, fun to watch. It's a great group of guys. And going forward, this room is going to be dominant. And, and coming into the next class, they've got another group of freak show guys that are going to come in here. And it's going to continue to attract the best quarterbacks in the country. It's going to keep attracting the best players in the country to come play there because they know they're going to be lining up next to some of the best and most elite players in college football. Um, okay, I'll I'll just cede the floor to you. Go ahead and, and love on Jeremy Rucker. You do it every week, and it's fine. It's warranted, but yeah, the floor is yours. Yeah, I, I think the Ruckert family is a little concerned about this Thomas Zagorski guy. I, I think Jeremy Ruckert is special. Uh, he does everything that doesn't show up on the stat sheet. He's he's an incredible blocker. He's physical. He, he runs through the echo of the whistle. Kevin Wilson has him playing with a nasty streak. And the best thing about it is Kate Stover's got a front row seat to it. And Kate Stover, coming out of high school, out of Lexington High School, was one of the best high school prospects in the country. He's learning every single day how to play this position, how to do it like a pro, and it's, it's been fun to watch. And, and I know that that room just continues to get better, uh, you know, and, and I think it's going to see the amount of times that Kate Stover gets better because of Jeremy Rucker. He's going to take him under his wing, keep developing him. You know, that ball that Jack Miller threw was just a little bit out of his reach down in the red zone. It would have been great to see him come in with that and make that big catch, um, you know, late in the game the other night. But uh, realistically – Jeremy Rucker is uh, is special, and he'll he'll get his. You know, there'll be some touchdown catches and things of that nature. We get in the Big Ten play, but keep blocking, keep blocking. I you know his jersey's on back order right now, so I'm looking to get it with a couple X's on it. So, um, but uh, he, he he's special. So it's fun to watch him, and then it really transitions into the guys up front, Brendan. You know, it comes back to that offensive line. You know, Studs got those guys played at a high level. Uh, the one caveat I had last night that I was a little disappointed. In, was a sack on the twist where Paris Johnson kind of buried himself down on the slide. He was in the hip of the center. He buried down. And uh, Johnson, number four for uh, the Zips, came back over the top. And Ryan Johnson was able, Glizzy, as they call him, was able to get uh, into the backfield and make a sack. Uh, that normally probably shouldn't happen if Paris just kind of stays home and doesn't turn himself. So I'm sure they'll correct that with him. Uh, but he's doing a great job at guard. And, and really, to see Matthew Jones play, so effective at the guard position with Thayer Munford, who's the leader of not only the offensive line, but really the offense in this football team, being elected as the Blocko captain, you know, watching him on the sideline and street clothes last night. I think he's still another couple of weeks away from coming back and, and being the, the dominant player that he's been. Uh, but really, this this line has been really, really special. And then to see the young guys play last night as well, uh, they really didn't miss much once those guys got into the game. Uh, they were able to block for prior late in the game for a touchdown run. Uh, so some of the different things that they're doing right now that I think is, is special as a unit uh, going forward that I'm really, really excited about. And and look, you know, it's easy to, to see like the – the flashy, sexy, love the big play component to an offense when you've got that kind of production at running back and at receiver, and you've got a you know a, a good quarterback. Um, but if you don't have the offensive line that can keep the pressure off of your quarterback to to make those plays happen, 
your offense is never going to go anywhere. Ohio State through four games, even with a loss through four games, second in the country in total offense, 559 yards per game, uh, seventh in scoring offense at, at 43.2 points per game. They are top 20 in the nation in rushing offense and passing offense and passing efficiency. Uh, a couple of other good numbers. They are 13th on third downs, 53.3%. That's pretty darn good. If you're, if, if you're better than one out of two on third downs, uh, it's going to be pretty hard for teams to, to slow you down. And, and even beyond that, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think Ohio State's done a really good job on first downs, staying on schedule and giving themselves manageable second and third downs where they don't have to go into a, a really predictable, hey, this is a pass play because we can't afford to run the ball in you know, third and nine. Brennan, how do you get great at third down? Stay out of it. That's what it comes down to. First and second down being effective. And like you said, staying ahead of schedule. Uh, When you're handing the ball to Trayvon Henderson, who's averaging, you know, last night the running backs averaged like 6.8 yards a carry. So on first down, if you hand the football off, you're running inside zone. All right, it's second and three. Like you have the the world is your oyster. You have every call in your playbook that you can possibly use in that situation. Um, And and continuing to do that. And, And trust me, Ryan Day is very excited about that. If the Buckeyes can continue to run the football the way they are, it's going to make this offense that much more effective. It's going to set up play actions and, and different scenarios, kind of what they've done in the past. Last night, they didn't really get into that as much. It wasn't a seven-man protection that they've used. They put a lot on the offensive line, a five- and six-man protection. But really with that protection, Tony Alford's guys got better last night. Trayvon Henderson came up and, and, and met linebackers. He got physical with those guys. It was good to see that uh, to him after the, the week before. He looked a little confused in protection. Master Teague's always been a good protector. That's one of the things that he really can hang his hat on. Um, he brings his hard hat. Mine Williams as well. So really to have those guys play at, at an elite level, it's been fun to watch. And, and this Buckeye offense is going to continue to stay, I think, ahead of schedule. You know, the outlier, a lot of people that are negative are going to say, hey, they did it against the Akron Zips. Yeah, the Akron Zips are a Division One football team. They have scholarships. They have uniforms. They do everything that they're supposed to on a, on a daily basis. And going forward, they're going to play Rutgers. They're going to play Maryland. They're going to play Indiana. They're going to play Michigan State. They're going to play Michigan. There's all these teams coming up down the pike that are going to be big games for the Buckeyes. And, and if they win those games, you know, we're going to be sitting here in a, in a month or two talking about, hey, are we a college football playoff team? And that's still not out of the question. It's still something that they can do. And I think you continue to stay above 40 as an explosive offense. That committee is going to want to see those guys. Those commi- that committee wants to see a healthy Chris Olave, a healthy Garrett Wilson, a healthy Travion Henderson. And, and really, they'll put a team in that can play really, really good offense. It doesn't have to be the greatest defensive football team in the history of football. I mean, Oklahoma's made this thing I don't know how many times with playing absolutely awful defense. So when you put that – They haven't won a game yet, but you're right. They keep getting in. They keep getting in. I mean, Notre Dame defensively um, has had ups and downs over the last couple of years. They keep getting in the college football playoff. So there's nothing wrong with being able to score a lot of points. People love watching that. People love watching those games. You know, even like – even the last, even the other – uh, yesterday with the uh, Notre Dame-Wisconsin game, which Brendan, I didn't call. I didn't call that. I'm not <laughs> – I did. I did have the Fighting Irish, and a lot of. I know the wise guy said no, 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 no. Yeah, I know you. I, I'm pretty sure you specifically said, "Yeah, Brennan, expect they're going to score 31 points in the fourth quarter." It's exactly. Happen. I just. I was sitting there the whole time, just sitting there going, "Yeah, well, waiting for those uh, three interception returns for touchdowns." So, realistically, um, Notre Dame had an explosive day, but I don't think you know people were okay turning the TV away because it was a 13-13 game. You know. It wasn't like a high-scoring affair. I don't have the actual numbers on that, but there was a lot of other good college football on 
uh, at the same time, you know, people are watching that. So yeah, and, and, and I want to I want to go that direction here because this is a a what we learned podcast. I don't want to talk about Rutgers yet. Um, we've got plenty of time this week to do that. But why don't we wrap up tonight talking about maybe some of the other things we learned, just even surface level. I, I know you didn't watch every minute of every Big Ten game this weekend, um, but there were a couple couple games that stood out. Certainly one of them, Notre Dame laying it on Wisconsin. Um, you know, duck here, Minnesota kind of getting smoked by Bowling Green. Tanner Morgan almost threw more interceptions than completions yesterday. Not good. Um, the the Michigan State-Nebraska game, I, I mean, I, I've been pretty high on, on, you know, Michigan State and what they've done here, you know, this season. They look improved. But I don't know. I mean, I, I think Nebraska's pretty bad. Um, and I – I was a little bit surprised to see that game was that close. Iowa struggled a little bit with Colorado State. Um, Maryland looks fairly good so far. They're undefeated. They beat up on Kent State, who I think is a decent team. Uh, I mentioned Minnesota and Bowling Green. Uh, Penn State kind of did to Villanova what what they should. Um, Indiana struggling a bit with a Western Kentucky team that might be better than people give them credit for. That offense is pretty good. Um, And the only thing I think I really know for sure is that Illinois is terrible. How's that? How's that for analysis? You know what? I, I it's uh, you know, and I'm not gonna say Illinois is terrible yet. They're they, they played some bad football. Um, you know, I, I think that they're developing. I think they hired the right guy in Brett Belima. I think he's gonna need a little bit of time to get that thing rolling. But I, I'm not saying I'm not completely throwing the bathwater out. I'm not expecting Illinois to join this year. I don't think anybody else is expecting Illinois to do anything this year. Uh, but yeah, the Illinois Purdue game. I don't think there were a lot of people tuning in. I think the biggest tune-in was to see Drew Brees talk about competitive character on the sideline uh, from that aspect. But realistically, you, you here's what we learned last night. We learned Michigan State needed two flea flickers to win a double overtime against the Nebraska team who's just trying to discover themselves. They lose their starting quarterback. I believe it was in the first quarter. They're playing with a backup quarterback, and they go toe-to-toe with those guys in East Lansing. Michigan State, you know, maybe they're not there yet, uh, but they're, they're vastly improved from what they've been uh, the last couple of years. Or maybe we're not giving Nebraska enough credit because they looked like a competent team against Oklahoma. I also think Oklahoma is pretty overrated this year, but maybe Nebraska's starting to figure it out a little bit. You know, and possibly. I mean, Scott Frost, his seat is on fire. I mean, even if he has a seat left in his office, he probably doesn't yeah. sit down anymore. Um, and it's hard for him because he had the opportunity when he did what he did at UCF, which was remarkable to take a mid major to be that elite, to yeah. have those kids play with that kind of level of enthusiasm and trust in him to then go to Nebraska to drink that Kool-Aid because why? Because you played there, because you grew up on that football brand, and, and that's something that was important to you. When he passed up other opportunities that some people would look at and say, hey, you know, maybe this was a better opportunity for you and your coaching staff. But Scott Frost is not a bad football coach. Nebraska's not the job it's been in the past. They're having another – they have a new athletic director again. Uh, they continue to change things you know, continuously on him. But, you know, kudos to them. They were prepared to play against Michigan State. And they're, they're not a bad coaching staff. And there's some good players on the team. They're going to find a way uh, to have opportunities to, to try to win football games, you know, from that standpoint. Looking back at it, what also I learned in the in Big Ten play, Rutgers is a good football team. Rutgers yes, is not a bad football team. And I think Michigan is vastly improved. They're running the football effectively. And you could say they were running the football against East Popcorn State and Mickey Mouse Tech. But at the end of the day, they're punishing people by running the football. And they're going to be able to, you know, that's going to be a big game for, you know, and I'm not trying to go down the stretch of that game already. I know how big that is. And we'll talk a lot about that leading up to that thing. But one of the issues for the Buckeyes has been defending the run. 
you know, going forward, they're going to have to figure out a way to stop a big physical front um, like those guys have, you know, from that standpoint. Iowa was was a pedestrian day against Colorado State. Uh, Colorado State beat up on a very good Toledo team the week before. So as you're going forward back into this, it's uh, it's really important um, that, that you like to see that. So thumbs up to that as well, uh, the, the Hummus Hero. But uh, I also love the fact that you, you see going forward, um, there's a lot of parity in the Big Ten. And this is what people want to see. It's been the Big Ten. It's been Ohio State, and then kind of everybody else is just kind of here uh, the last uh, last couple of years. I think this year, I still do think Ohio State is here. And it's not because I've got the block, you know, because I got Ohio State up in the corner here and the Buckeyes now logo uh, prominently displayed twice on this. I legitimately think Ohio State still is the most talented team um, in, in the Big Ten, and, and until they're unseated, uh, they are the kings of this of this conference. But there are going to be there's going to be a lot more football going forward. Minnesota yesterday to lose to a Bowling Green team um, who really is just, you know, Scott Luffler is a good football coach. Lefty does a good job there. He's recruited well in the limited time he's been there. It's been a complete rebuild for him. Uh, very similar to the Akron team we saw yesterday uh, play against uh, the Buckeyes. But to have those guys go into Minnesota and really offensively didn't do anything. I mean, legitimately, it was, I mean, offensively, Bowling Green couldn't get anything going yesterday. What it was was their defense played remarkably well. They had probably the best defensive game they've, they've played. It is the best defensive game they've played in the Scott Leffler era. And this team's known to go do that. In their first year, they were an awful football team. They go and beat a Toledo team that was really, really good. They go win that, you know, the Battle I-75. So, you know, I, not to say that Bowling Green's going to, you know, flip the script and, and be a better team, but they picked the, the team was picked dead last in the MAC to go in and beat a Minnesota team that we probably, after week one, thought was going to be a little bit better of a football team. And I, I think there was the hangover, you know, from the previous week for, you know, for Minnesota. And they're sitting there, they come into this game, and there really wasn't a lot going on. Anytime they went back to that game, it did not feel like there was a lot of energy there in Minnesota. I know P.J. Fleck is going to go crazy. Um, there are probably a lot of wars broken after the game and, and a lot of other things that are going to transpire. But a lot of questions, I mean, <laughs> are going to be asked, like, how did this happen? And looking back on it. So it doesn't mean that it's the end of the world for the Minnesota Gophers, but um, there is a lot, a lot of room of improvement for those guys and, and going forward with it from that standpoint. I'm looking forward to seeing what Iowa could do going forward as well in this Big Ten play. And how does Wisconsin respond? Wisconsin's starting quarterback, you know, and this was during the game. I can't take credit for the stat. Against top 25 teams, he's one in five or one in six. Going wow. into the team yesterday, it's some remarkable stat where like Wisconsin can go beat the teams they need to beat, but when it comes push comes to shove, and they got to throw the football. That's not who they are. Um, Wisconsin offensive line wise last night looked pedestrian against Notre Dame, which I don't think you ever say. Wisconsin is known for generating these big physical offensive linemen that lean on you for four quarters straight. They were not that holding penalties, hands to the face, tackles for loss. They couldn't get their zone game going. It actually looked like Notre Dame was Wisconsin's offensive line, um, and Wisconsin's cool. offensive line looked like they were, um, you know, Wisconsin River Falls. I mean, it was they were not the – no disrespect to the River Falls boys if they're, if they're paying attention to this, but it's a different aspect of it. So the Big Ten, tons of parity, lots of fun coming up on the, on the horizon for us, and we get to follow it all here on Buckeyes Now. I uh, can't wait to do it along the way. Uh, to, to your point about Rutgers, again, not doing a deep dive on Rutgers. This is just, uh, I think, backing up what you said about them looking like a better team regardless of who they've played against Rutgers has been outstanding on special teams. They are the number one team in the country in net punting yards. They are third in the country on third down defense. Uh, they are 
Uh, Where's the other one? Oh, uh, punt returns. They are 10th in the country in punt returns. So on both sides, they've excelled there. But so th those, those are good. To me, the thing I like the most when I'm trying to see if a team is getting better, they are fourth in the country in uh, penalty yards per game, and they are tied for third in the country in penalties per game. They're they're much more disciplined than this team used to be. If if you can build a disciplined team, you got a chance to build something special. For whatever reason, Greg Schiano seems to have the magic touch there that nobody else has seemed to have. Um, and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing them uh, this upcoming week. They gave Ohio State last last year uh, a much better game than we anticipated. It was never really a game Ohio State was in danger of losing, but it was never a comfortable win. And the Buckeyes open, you know, to give you some perspective, as a 17-point favorite. Uh, think about the line last year of Ohio State-Michigan in a game that didn't get played. Um, it was more than double that line than what Ohio State-Rutgers is this week. So this is definitely an improved Rutgers team coming to uh, – or actually, I guess the Buckeyes are going to Piscataway. So uh, looking forward to that one. Um, before we wrap up, any final thoughts? Just things that we didn't touch on that uh, you want to get out? No, Brennan, I think, you know, the one thing that, you know, looking forward is, you know, Ohio State came away with a big win. It's a victory Sunday. Enjoy it. And, and hopefully next week at this time, we're still saying the same thing as they go play a, a vastly improved Rutgers team. You know, Greg Schiano and, and Buckeye fans know this when he was on the sidelines in Columbus is somebody that's really special. He's a great football coach. And we're going to talk more about him this week as, as we get into it. Uh, but uh, kudos to Ryan Day. He somehow figures out a way to keep getting these guys going. And, um, you know, this young team keeps developing, keeps growing, and um, they're three and one. So college football playoff is not out of the question. Big Ten championship is not out of the question. Um, it comes with a, a great work day tomorrow for the Buckeyes and uh, and a great fellowship by all you Buckeyes Now fans. Back to it for uh, Rutgers Week coming up here starting tomorrow. We will have some film evaluation, by the way, uh, of, of some good Buckeye plays and maybe a couple that um, we would have liked to see go differently. Uh, so you can look out for that content on the website tomorrow. Uh, and then we will we'll totally flip the script and, and get rolling. Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is all looking forward to this upcoming weekend's game. We will talk with somebody that covers Rutgers, still locking that down, but uh, we'll talk with somebody that covers the Scarlet Knights this weekend. Um, that'll come on Wednesday, and uh, we'll certainly have previews and predictions coming up later on this week as well. For Tommy Zagorski, this is Brendan Gulick. Hope you enjoyed Buckeye Breakdown tonight on the uh, Sunday night edition of What We Learned. Look forward to seeing you again real soon. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. We would really appreciate that. Follow us on our social media spots and, of course, BuckeyesNow.com, your home for everything you need with Ohio State. See you real soon. Hope you enjoyed What We Learned.